Good morning. Well, Jamie, Nicole, and I are very grateful to get to come back and be with you again. We were here in February, and that was a great time, and we've been looking forward to this time with you as we get to participate in your VBC. We're, we're really excited about that. We love it when you send groups down and have helped us, the most recent group, uh, last summer, uh, or two summers ago, that uh, helped us with our English camps and our VBSs, and uh, it's just great to serve the Lord together. And as we serve the Lord together, we face the little trials that come up, like, like the morning when uh, Keith got up to shower at our church, we were having a men's retreat uh, in addition to, to the VBS, and and. Keith took a cold shower, and we were trying to figure out how to, how to get that going. And, and so Keith was suffering uh, on the mission trip. The rest of us got warm showers when we finally figured out the little switch that we hadn't turned on. Because we hadn't learned to use the showers at our church yet uh, very well. But um, we're thankful for these partnerships, for the excitement of serving together. And this week, um, we're excited about going back to Mexico for our next term. But this week we get to be here. So before we do that, we, we are uh, thankful for what God is doing here at Bethany Community and our partnership. Thank you for your faithful giving, for your faithful praying, for your partnership with us in reaching people in Mexico City for Christ. My younger brother, John, there's six, I have uh, five siblings, there's six of us, but my, brother, uh, my younger brother, John, and I, uh, used to do everything together. He was always just as tall or a little taller than me. And we loved playing soccer. So we played soccer whenever possible growing up on the mission field. And we had a, a small backyard. And the challenge was to not kick the ball too high, you know, and, and for it to go over to the neighbors. We had this tall wall. And, and we kept kick the ball too hard, it would go over that wall and hit the tile uh, asbestos roof of the neighbors in the apartment complex. They had three apartments on one side, three apartments on the other. It hit that tile wall and rolled down into the hallway in the middle of their apartments. And so as soon as we did that, we had to run quickly out to the gate, make the U-turn and run down that hallway to try to get our ball before the lady who lived in that apartment got to it. Because if if she got it first, we learned this after a couple of times that, well, we just knew where to look for our ball. It was going to be at the bottom of the well. They had a well at the end of that little hallway. And we would have to get the rope and pull that bucket up and, uh, it, with the ball in it, and, and the ball would be punctured because she would have gotten one of her knives, and it was a little plastic ball, and she would have punctured that ball. And, and so soccer was over for that day if she accomplished all of her purposes and we didn't get there fast enough. Um, that was an old grumpy lady to us, you know, and she was our enemy and she was angry. She would say, when your ball hit the roof, it knocked a brick loose and that brick hit me on the head. And we knew that wasn't true. You know, she was lying. She was our enemy. She was angry and we were angry. And my mom told my brother and me that we should pray for that neighbor lady. 
My mom was challenging us to see beyond our suffering for that moment and to see the heart that was inside this other person who was like a lost sheep with no shepherd. We weren't seeing that. I wasn't seeing it because my heart in that moment was worshiping the idol of fun, the idol of soccer. And I love soccer. My brother loves soccer. That's what we wanted. That's what we worshipped. And, we, and, and your idols, our, our idols, keep us from seeing what is really going on behind the scenes, what is, what is beyond the surface. Who was seeing correctly? Was my mom seeing that situation correctly or was my brother and, and I seeing that correctly? You know, of course, my mom was right. And to prove the point... I was in college when I got a letter from my mom. Back then we did letters, not emails, you know, and once in a while phone calls, but they were kind of expensive. So I was reading a letter. My mom said, there was this lady that came to our house to ask for work. She was a young lady. She said, and she said, I used to live in that apartment right behind you with my mother. Oh, she was the daughter. We didn't even know she lived there because we always interacted with her angry old mom. I won't tell you what we called her, but... Um, my mom said, I didn't really have work for her, she says, but I hired her and had her do what I was going to do that day, and I just talked to her the whole day. Guess what my mom was talking to her about? After a couple weeks of that, Rosa, the young lady, accepted Christ. And today, Rosa lives right next to the church where my mom and dad spend a lot of time. She's a great servant in the church. And... uh, my mom had the opportunity to go up on a long, muddy hill. They didn't live in that apartment anymore and witness to her mom, and her mom made a profession of faith. So who was seeing correctly that day when, when we were upset about our soccer balls or those days? So today, Peter is going to talk to us from 1 Peter chapter 1, if you'd like to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1, he's going to challenge us the way my mom would challenge us. To say, where's your faith? Where are the eyes of your faith? Can you see? Can you see with the eyes of your faith what God is doing? Can you see his glory and can you see the hearts of the people around you? So our first point this morning is, Jesus' family is strategically spread all over the globe. And we'll see that as we begin to read in 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, 
Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Even the trials of having your soccer ball punctured. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Father, we thank you for your precious word. Thank you for your revelation to show us who you are that also shows us who we are that is transformational, that is a help to us as we are nourished and changed and molded into the likeness of Christ. We thank you for this passage and pray you would speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So Peter is wanting us to see that these trials that we face on a daily basis are part of God's plan in our lives. And he starts off in verse 1 to say part of God's working in our lives has to do with our location. Jesus' family is strategically spread everywhere he wants his family to be. And it says, to those who are elect exiles, elect exiles is like um, an expatriate is one of the terms used today. Somebody who was raised in one country but lives in a different country and a different culture, possibly different language, and working and, and carrying on with their lives. Some people choose to, the, to do that, but the ones that Peter was writing to, they hadn't exactly uh, dreamed with traveling to other countries and learning other cultures. They were there because they had been persecuted. So we call them expatriates or expats because they, they were mostly from Jerusalem Christians who had been persecuted after the stoning of Stephen. And they were living in these places. Do you know where these places are? Like at the northern part of, of Turkey, you can see there Bithynia, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, those, all those mentioned. You see, especially Bithynia, and the arrows on this map show Paul's second missionary journey. In his first missionary journey, he and Barnabas went through the Mediterranean Sea, and they, they got up there, uh, to where Lystra and Derby and all of those cities, they started in that Antioch, went up there, and they went across the, the lower part of Turkey. And in his second missionary journey, he, he just went up through land and, and went across the low, lower Turkey. And then he and Silas wanted to turn right and go up into Bithynia. Acts chapter 16, verse 7 says that the Holy Spirit did not allow them to go up into Bithynia. And I'd always wondered about that. Why, uh, why if Paul had a burden to go preach to the people up there, north of where he had been before, why would God not allow him to do that? And then later he has a vision and God takes him over to Macedonia. But I think this verse is an answer to that question. Why didn't God allow him up there? Because the Holy Spirit 
had a different plan for the people in Bithynia. He was going to take expats, people from the dispersion, to go up there. And through their lives, they weren't apostles, they weren't the sent ones, but they were believers who were just going to arrive in that area and live out finding new jobs, finding a new house, suffering and, and after having lost their homes and their jobs and starting all over and the difficulties and challenges that go with all that, they were going to live in that area and reflect the gospel. They were going to share with others the excellencies of him who had called them out of darkness and into his light. And that was God's plan for them. And Peter's writing to them. He's saying... Your being up there in Bithynia and these other places is part of God's plan for you. Because notice how he even words it there in, in, in verse 2. After he mentions each place, he says, according to the foreknowledge of God. Yes, that's speaking about their salvation, according to the foreknowledge. But, but he's just mentioned the places. The places where they are is part of God's plan for their lives. You're there And you know Christ, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit, the Trinity is involved here. The Father, the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, for the sprinkling with his blood. We were just singing about that this morning, or a few minutes ago. Beautiful praises to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So... Because we're believers, he says, we are really all expatriates. We're not in our home country anymore. Even if you were born and raised in Washington, and this is where you're from, and this is where where you identify, he says, you're not really from here anymore if you're in Christ. You're like, like these people who had been uprooted and sent to another place. Or you're like the missionaries who go to another country. We prayed a few minutes ago for the, for the hairs and the headings, right? Two families from this church that have to move away. According to Peter, God has something to do with that, about those moves. Whether it's persecution or whether it's we lost our job or whether it's here's the next step in what I believe God wants me to do in my career or for my family, And it affects everybody in the family, doesn't it, when you make a move like that? It affects the wife in one way. It affects the children in another way. And it can be a real struggle. You can go through a process of struggling with those moves. And you you might have great neighbors now, and you end up with a grouchy old lady, you know, who stabs soccer balls. You never know who you're going to end up. Or you might end up with with a proud, ignorant, immature young boy as your neighbor, like, like my brother and me, who can't see anything, you know. Uh, we were believers, but we weren't acting like it. My mom was acting like a believer in Christ who can see the needs and the hearts of other people, but we sure weren't yet. We were believers, but, but we were acting like the world. We were into the passions. We wanted the fame of soccer. We wanted to win soccer games. We wanted that emotion of... Of, of victory and of being good at what we do. But those are the passions of the world. And God uses 
the move. He uses the discomfort, the challenges, and the suffering of that move for his purposes. And that's what, what Peter's telling them. You're up there, you're suffering, you've gone through a really tough time, but let me, let me tell you, let me remind you that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, he, and he's calling up images of the tabernacle from the Old Testament when he says, with the sprinkling of his blood, when they sprinkled the the high priest, they would sprinkle the altar, they would sprinkle the bowls that they were going to use. Everything had to be sprinkled with blood to purify it so it would be useful in the temple. And we, we, get, we who live after the coming of Christ don't have to be sprinkled with literal blood, but by faith, we are also sprinkled with blood. We understand through the sacrifice of Christ, that he is setting us apart. Setting us apart to be holy, like he says later in chapter 1. You be holy because I am holy. As you behold God's holiness, you will grow in this holiness. It will change you. It will transform you. You've been marked and set apart. You've been given a strategic message placed in a strategic location. So if, so if you're not moving, you say, good, God's not moving me and my family. We love living here, and, and we get to stay here, and this is where it's comfortable. But the challenge to you is, it still applies. It still applies to you. If you're here, it's because God isn't moving you. It's because God wants you to learn and to grow to, to bloom where you're planted and to share his light with those around you and the trials and the difficulties. Sometimes that's harder because everything seems normal and we're just into our daily routines and uh, interacting with neighbors or going to school or going to work. Can we see with the eyes of faith what God is doing, what he wants to do in our lives, and what the challenge is. What our, what our, is it our goal to be like Jesus Christ so that others can see his glorious gospel? We should each be praying, Lord, please use me to reach someone in my community this year. It's, not, it's probably not realistic to think let me win 100 or 200 this year. But, but are we praying, Lord, use me to reach the people around me. Use me as one member of my church. Use me. It would be awesome if you would use me in a direct way to bring somebody around me towards you, to know you. Like, like my mom was praying for our next-door neighbors and, and how God worked in amazing ways to bring Rosa and her mother to Christ. In verses 3 to 5, I'll just mention them briefly after that introduction and the emphasis on the location. We see this great salvation that brings hope, a living hope to our lives that has raised us out of death We have an unfading, an undefiled, an unblemished inheritance waiting for us in heaven. 
We have to be able to see that with the eyes of our hearts as well to understand what God is doing in our lives. And then we come to the main idea that I'm emphasizing in our study together in this message is verses 6 and 7. I'll read those again. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In this you rejoice. So our second point is your faith is tested and causes you to grieve temporarily. That doesn't go away. Even if you have the eyes of faith, that suffering, that, that difficulty of the moment is going to hurt. It's going to be a difficulty. It's going to be painful. It's going to cause us to suffer in that moment. Sometimes following Jesus is not easy. That's why a lot of people don't want to do it. Or we try it and they say, oh, I don't, I don't think that's for me, but... But we lose out on so much if we don't embrace the challenge, the difficulty, the suffering. In one of, one of my master's classes, I was reading a book that really challenged me. I hadn't seen it this way before. He said, we should see ourselves in, in these three categories. We are, and I was very familiar with two of them. He says, we are sinners and we are saints. As, as a way to identify ourselves in broad categories. Yes, we are sinners who have been saved and been made saints. We continue struggling with sin. We continue to be sinners. And he's growing us to be more and more like him. But he's, he has declared us holy and saints in Christ, right? But there's a third one that, that was a bit new to me and a bit challenging. And that's what this passage is about. We are also sufferers. And that's a broad category that we need to understand we need to embrace, we need to, to understand how God is working in our lives through all the suffering he brings into our lives. Sinners, saints, and sufferers. So our faith will be tested and we will be grieved temporarily. And he says it right there. You have been grieved by various trials. That's what this life is like. So as I, I was mentioning my brother and I were born in Mexico, raised in Mexico. So we, we spoke English at home, and we went to school in English. And everything outside of the home was Spanish. You know, church, and ministry, and soccer, and, and, and friends, all of that was in Spanish. So we've been doing Spanish our, all our lives. And then every five or six years, we take a furlough, just like I do with my family. And so I did first grade and sixth grade and my junior year of high school were in English, in Ohio, and uh, to continue our English education. But so I did furloughs, and we would do public schools in, in little rural Ohio, Kirkersville, Ohio, near Columbus. But then I went to my junior year at big Reynoldsburg High School. Boy, was that a shock. That, that was one of, my, one of the hardest years of my life was going to this big public school in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. Well, my younger brother, he decided he wanted to take Spanish that year. And so he signed up for Spanish and they asked him, or, or the, the registration asked, have you studied Spanish before? And he put no, which was true. 
you know. In school, he had never studied Spanish. So guess where they put him? Of course, he went to Spanish 1. So he's going to Spanish 1, and they're learning how to say hi. They're learning how to count in Spanish. So he's not taking anything close to a hard test. For him, those tests were so easy. And the second week he was in there, the Spanish 4 teacher came into his classroom looking for his teacher who had left temporarily. She had left and, and not left anybody in charge. She said, I'll be right back. And they were supposed to do, be doing homework or something, some work. And, and the Spanish 4 teacher, who was a Cuban lady, comes in, looks around for her working partner, and starts just jabbering to them in Spanish. ¿Dónde está la maestra? ¿Cómo es posible que ella les dejó aquí solos? ¿Y, y qué van a hacer ustedes sin una maestra? No van a... And she's going on. And, and, and so she turns to leave and says, ¿Dónde está su maestra? Which is, where's your teacher? And she's starting to leave. And my brother from pipes up and he says, Se fue. You know, she's gone. Well, that wasn't a test anybody in that class was supposed to be able to pass. So she turns back around and says, who said that? You know, and the kid's sitting around my brother going, not me. You know, well, she invited him to leave the class with her that day. And by the end of that day, he was in Spanish four as an assistant to the teacher. I'm sure he learned, he, he, he enjoyed that year and he was learning grammar and things that he hadn't learned before. But he had a funny way of getting there, right? But I tell you that story to illustrate the point. If it's easy, it's not really a test. If it's comfortable, if it's fun. You know, sometimes learning can be hard and can be fun at the same time. But, but for, for right now, I'm, I'm emphasizing the point. If it's easy, if it's comfortable, if we really like it, it's not a test. Have you learned to accept the uncomfortable, the difficult, the suffering, the things you don't like? Are you learning to accept those with eyes of faith? That's what Peter's challenging. He challenged his brothers and sisters up in Bithynia, Cappadocia, Pontius, he's challenging them to see life this way. And he's challenging us today to see life that way. What, is, what are the hardest things you're going through? What is the most difficult challenge, the most uncomfortable? Are you being persecuted? That's what First Peter's about. It's when other people mistreat you and do things to you that are harsh. They might be your parents. They might be your teacher. They might be your boss people who are over you, that are making life difficult for you. They might be unfair. This isn't right. Those families that are moving away, you can expect there to be some difficult challenges that go with that. But it it will sure be a lot better. You, You will learn and grow if you will go with with this 1 Peter 1 kind of attitude. And those of us who aren't moving, we need to probably even work harder because it's not so obvious that God is moving and changing us, that we need to accept our challenges, our difficulties. And we should be loving and patient with one another, understanding that our brothers and sisters, our wives, our children are suffering. And we might not learn the lessons right away. It's not... 
just rub dirt on it, you know, get tough. Um, straighten up. But, but we, we need to understand that when we go through these things that are very difficult, that they do hurt and are challenging. And, and I'm thankful for the, for the challenges my mom gave that, that didn't give fruit until years later in my life. She didn't, she didn't beat us over the head with it and, and try to force us. You know, we, if we'd understood, we'd have probably said, Mom, would you make some, help me make some cookies to take to the lady next door and let's pray for her. Boy, that would have been great. I don't think we did anything like that. I don't know what my mom did for her. I'm sure she was, she was doing some things. And then she hired her daughter years later. But if, if we have the understanding of what God is doing in our lives, we begin to accept and to submit to what he's doing. And then we, we learn to speak kindly to other people and look at just for ways, how can I do what he's saying? Let's look at chapter 2, verse 9 for just a moment because this is one of the key verses of First Peter. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Right there he's telling us who we are in Christ. A people called a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As we're in those struggles and difficulties, as we're grateful for what God is doing, and we proclaim the excellencies of forgiveness, of mercy, of, of God's kind of love, and, and find ways to share in, in the moments of life God will produce his fruit in our lives. So if it's easy, it's not a test. If it's not a test, we don't learn, really. We only truly learn when we're challenged. If we don't learn, we don't grow. And we need to grow. So when a test and a trial comes... It might take us a few minutes, a few hours, or even a few days. The bigger the trial, sometimes the more time it takes to get there, to where we can say, Lord, thank you for what you're doing. I don't feel grateful even, but make me grateful. Make me understand what you're doing. Help me to learn from this. We, get, we, we, we begin getting on the side of rejoicing. Because uh, uh, there in First Peter 1, six. He's, he's saying that both things are going on at the same time. You're, you're grieved, and at the same time, you're joyful. I think that only a believer in Christ who, who, is, who is learning and growing can do that at the same time. You can't be joyful, and especially you can't be joyful about what Christ is doing in your heart unless... You're a believer in Christ. That's not even possible. The world might find other reasons to be happy about some difficulty they're going through, but they're not going to find that one, that reason of what Jesus is doing in my heart. 
Everyone grieves when they're tested. Not everyone rejoices in their faith as they're being tested. How did Joseph feel when his brothers were selling him as a slave? I don't know what he felt that day, but he got around to rejoicing. You can tell that if you read his story, can't you? Or even when they, Potiphar's wife accused him falsely and he was put in jail. He was suffering. It was a difficulty, but, but he knew God was and he accepted what God was doing in his heart. How did Daniel feel when he was dragged away to Babylon as a young boy or how, when he was thrown into the lion's den? And most importantly, what was Jesus going through in the garden when he was sweating drops of blood about to go into the hardest experience, harder than any of us will ever have to endure? And incredibly, Hebrews tells us that he learned, he learned through obedience. And then Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. Oh, he's our model. Romans 5.3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that the suffering produces endurance. Lord, grow me through this difficulty and this challenge. One of the toughest things we went through this, through this past term was finding out that the, the ex-wife of our treasurer was suing our church bank account. She, she was saying, okay, his name is on this account. It's a little bit complicated. I'll just summarize quickly. If anybody has more questions, you can ask me later. But since his name was on there, my name was on there, and three other guys, but his was on the top, she, she said, that bank account belongs to my husband. I'm suing him for divorce, so I get half of that. So our church had $80,000 in that bank account, all savings from our church over 10 years. And she says, I get half of that. So it was under threat. That was a trial for me, especially as a pastor of the church. And I always considered myself fairly spiritual. And, and uh, things didn't shake me up as quickly as they did other people. I, I'm a laid-back, easy-going guy, and and um, but this was different. This was different than anything I had gone through before. And there were some nights where I wouldn't get much sleep. Well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what should we do about it? And we could do this, and we could do that. And the fear and the worry that went with that trial really shook me up. It was, it was a test of my faith for sure. And, and I'm still learning from it. Still asking God to do something in my heart. And it does something to us that verse 7 talks about. And this is our third point. Your faith is purified to produce glory for Him. Your faith is purified as you go through this trial. And what I needed to do in this test was to confess my sin of unbelief, my uh, lack of trust in, in what God was doing my, when I couldn't see where this was going to end up. 
it's, it's there to help us see sin in our life. It's a fiery trial. The way gold is purified by fire, our faith is being purified through this fiery test. And now I'm very thankful for this trial. I wasn't in the first few days, that's for sure. But, but if it's not hard, we don't learn. If we don't learn, we don't grow. Your faith is purified to produce glory for Him. Near Mexico City, if you'll come and visit us like, like the team did last summer, you'll see these pyramids. Um, we have the biggest pyramids in the world. They're not quite as tall as ones in Egypt, but they're huge. This is a pyramid to the moon. They were built, they, they were built even before Christ walked on the earth. That's how old these pyramids are. And I show it to you and, and invite you to even come and see it. But when I take you out there, the team will remember, we stand right in the middle of them and talk about the human sacrifices and the, and the darkness and the fear, the horrible history that, that it represents. These are, these are the Tower of Babel. That pyramid right there is another Tower of Babel. It is man trying to glorify himself. And how does he get glory? By dominating other people and killing other people for his own glory. And he leaves the Great Pyramid there. And there was a guy buried in the bottom of that one, the Pyramid of the Moon. For his glory... This passage tells us later, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. Yeah, that's a great glory right there, isn't it? It's crumbling away. It's impressive to think about how they built it back then with their technology and their, their manpower. It's impressive to see, but it's especially, it's a great illustration of what the depravity of man is. It's a monument to man's depravity, just like the Tower of Babel. It was built for man's glory, but they abandoned that city in the year 700 after Christ. They had to leave because of droughts and other things, and so it's just, it was abandoned and has to be restored so we can see a little bit of the old glory that it had back then. That's man's glory. But your faith is being purified for something a lot better than that. The the city that that conquered Mexico is the next one, which when Cortes in 1519 brought his soldiers and he was crafty and he he made treaties with, with the villages that were being dominated by the Mexicas, And he got up there and even tricked the emperor into inviting him into the house and was served the first cup of hot chocolate in history. was served by Moctezuma to Cortes because, you know, kids, don't listen. This is for VBS or for the VBC week, okay? So so we'll show you more pictures and talk uh, about this later. But, But anyway, chocolate comes from Mexico. And... And all of that, it, this city was a most amazing city any of those soldiers had ever seen. It was a glorious city. And the downtown of this city had these, these pyramids where they sacrificed people and they dominated the rest of the world. And what did Cortes do? He said, I'm taking your glory away because this is my glory. And he built Mexico City on top of that. So that was all destroyed and plastered and and, and he built the city on that lake. Mexico City is built on that lake. And they still get 
over 50% of the city's water from under that lake, but it kind of causes a problem. Some of the buildings are leaning and sinking, and, and you can see that if you come visit us too. Very, very interesting. And the, the buildings can't be too big because they'll, they have that foundation problem. But it's an illustration of, of man's glory. God's producing a different kind of glory that our faith is producing for when Jesus comes back. And for all eternity, we will be declaring the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness and brought us into his light. And if we are learning from our trials, and we are growing in Christ, our fourth point is that your faith will have eyes to see your Lord and your salvation. You will see the things God wants you to see. You'll be able to see with your eyes of faith. I love this verse 8. Though you have not seen him. Anybody in here seen Jesus? Did he ever appear to you like he did to Paul? Did you walk with the apostles? No. None of us did that. It says, though you have not seen him. He was talking to people who hadn't seen him either. It says, you love him. We sang about that a while ago. Savior like a shepherd lead us. And then we sang the chorus. Blessed Jesus. When you sing that, are you singing with the eyes and ears of your faith? Blessed Jesus. What you did for me. Is beyond what I could have ever asked or expect to pay for my sin. And I'd like to finish telling you a story uh, from our church. The lady in the middle is Minnie. She's got the pink shirt on. And now she and her husband, who's, who's on the left, Phil, they're part of our church. They have four kids. Diego, Daphne, Diana, and the team didn't. This little girl was born, even since we came up for furlough, Daniela. Sweet little Daniela. But their story is that many came to our church one day. We were preaching through the book of Jonah and she heard the gospel and tears are streaming down her face. And she has found the oasis she's been looking for. She's found the hope in Christ. Why? Because a few months earlier, she, she's, a, she's a working lady. She's a business lady. She has two chicken stands. She sets them up every day with the light metal posts and the, and the little red tent that goes over top of it and sells fresh chicken. She buys the fresh chicken and sells fresh chicken to everybody in, in their neighborhood and the neighborhood where our church is. And she was selling chicken one day and studying with the Jehovah Witnesses at that time, searching, but this lady comes and starts telling her that, that her husband has been unfaithful with this other lady in the neighborhood. And she's getting all upset. She never heard anything about this. And the lady gets her upset enough, which was her purpose, that she heads down to her house down the street to confront her husband, who's a mechanic working to fill, working on his car. And this other lady just follows her with her mother, 
And they pick up along the way, as part of their plan, the judicial police. The judicial police is like an FBI agent, kind of, in our culture. But in Mexico, you don't want anything to do with judicial police. They are so corrupt. They're so dangerous. If, if you don't have them in your back pocket or if you haven't bought them off, it's not anybody you want to deal with. But she has one of these guys with her. And this story illustrates what, what these guys do in Mexico too often. They had the judicial police with his weapon hold Phil at gunpoint while the lady and her mother beat Minnie up. They broke her nose. They left her black and blue. And their purpose was to say, the lady saying, he's my man. You need to give him up. And, and he, had been, he had been unfaithful. But he had wanted to break that relationship off because it wasn't working anymore. And this is what she, she did. And it looked like that day she had, uh, that this lady had, had accomplished her goal because, of course, he was kicked out of the house. They didn't want, Minnie and her kids didn't want anything to do with them. He left. A couple months later, after she's healing and, and he comes humbly trying to get back in his family. He didn't want to lose his family. But her, her life is a shamble and a mess. She's suffering big time. And one of the ladies that bought chicken from her could see what she was going through. And she'd already been witnessing to her. Esther had witnessed to her and about Christ and forgiveness and the power of the gospel. But this time she said, Esther told her, you want to come to church with me on Sunday? Minnie said, yes, I need something. I need help. And that's when she came to our church. We didn't know what was going on. I didn't find out their story until later in counseling as, as they're trying to resolve issues with their kids and they, they're, they're, they're running into barriers and not advancing, so they ask for counseling. And, and, and the story comes out so that they can confess, ask for forgiveness, be granted forgiveness so that this family can get past that horrible trial in their in their past and through that trial have have come to Christ and come to be a very precious part of Nueva Vida en Cristo uh, the church that you have helped us plant because of your participation this is a this is a place off there in Bethany or Cappadocia you know a place far away that most of you have never been to but you're you have a part in this church you have a part in bringing this family to Christ Minnie and Phil, and to just see them grow little by little, grow through their trials. Uh, I'd tell you about the other people in the picture, but, but we need to wrap it up. We need to be done right now, right? This message has gone long enough, and hopefully we've, we've understood what, what the Lord is telling us in this verse. Oh, and I want to finish with the last, one of the last verses in First Peter. I'll go ahead and re- read it. It's uh, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, 
strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, we praise you because you amaze us with your love. You amaze us with your grace, with your forgiveness, with your patience. Lord, you amaze us with your wisdom. But we confess, Lord, that we need to grow in our faith. We need to be quick to see that trials are for our good, that trials are part of your plan to purify us and to glorify your name as we share what you've done in our lives so that other people will be drawn to Christ. Only you can do all of that, Lord, in our lives and in our hearts. And we ask today that you would help us to see this a little more clearly and to rejoice in what it means to preach the gospel through our suffering. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.